Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ, and I have a special treat for you. This is our second lesson in our 2005 Fall Focus on the Family Built by the Lord. This lesson is on the institution of marriage. We're going to be taking a look at how the world looks at marriage and how God looks at marriage. So open your Bibles and let's learn about God's institution of marriage. Do you remember what your relationship was with your spouse was like back before you got married? It was wonderful, wasn't it? You just you, you didn't mind just spending hours and hours just sitting there talking with them. You couldn't wait to get together with them. Every time they walked in the room, you get butterflies in the pit of your stomach. Even if there were problems, even if there were things you didn't like, you knew that that really wasn't a big deal. Number one, their strengths outweighed their weaknesses. Plus, you were just so certain that they loved you so much that after they said, I do, and you guys talked about it a little bit, you knew they would deal with those issues and change them. And so you were just so excited. And you were just so convinced. It was just love all the time. It was wonderful. And you were convinced that it was just like the eagle said, that when we're hungry, love will keep us alive. And, and you looked forward to the future and you knew that it, it didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter what you had or what you'd end up with or where you went with your family. It was just like Sonny and Cher said, everything was okay. Because I got you, babe. But Sonny and Cher broke up. And now that you're married to that old flame, things don't look quite as good as they once did. They didn't change all those problems that you thought they would. They throw their clothes all around the house. They leave half-full drinks on the counter. They don't put the lid back on the toothpaste. Or maybe they do all those things and get mad at you because you don't. You found out that they're really very different from you. What seemed to be somebody who was just your soulmate before you got married, you found out it's like the odd couple living in the same house. And as the glow of your marriage has started to tarnish, you don't always want to spend all that time with them. You don't want to spend hours talking with them because that's when all the fights seem to start. And if that's not the way it is, at least you'll say, you know, sometimes it's just not as, as what it was. The spark is just not there. According to our world, you've fallen out of love. And some of us will begin to look at that and wonder if we didn't make a mistake somewhere along the line. Because after all, as Van Halen said... When it's love, it lasts forever. Have you ever noticed how much of our subconscious view of love and marriage comes from music and movies? And yet what we learn is that the modern view from our culture, from the entertainment media, from those who write the scripts for the movies and those who sing the songs, their view of marriage is not exactly like God's view of marriage. If we look in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13, Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13, we find out what God thinks about marriage. In Malachi 2 and verse 13, He said, This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? In Malachi 2 and verse 14, God answered, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. We recognize that to God, marriage is a covenant, a lifetime agreement. Marriage is not, as our society seems to think, just something that you would try in order to see how it fits. Marriage is not like buying a new car or buying a new house, just something that you start off with until you're ready for bigger and better things. Marriage is not like a career move, something that you'll devote yourself to until it's not paying off anymore. Marriage is a covenant, an agreement to be with one person until death parts. That's how God views marriage. What I'd like for us to do this evening is just take a look at God's institution of marriage. And notice in contrast between the way the world and the worldly-minded views marriage, what they think marriage is for and what it's based on and how it'll last, and what we learn from the Word of God about marriage and about how it's supposed to work when we are doing what we're supposed to be doing in our marriages. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God in heaven, we're so thankful for Your love and Your mercy. And we're thankful for Your Word that tells us how we can live to serve and glorify and honor You. Father, we pray that You be with us tonight as we learn more about marriage, that our hearts will be open to what You have said, that as we learned this morning, we'll want to follow Your pattern. And Father, we invite You to be a part of our marriages and ask that You would strengthen us and build our homes. Father, we pray that in Your mercy and Your grace, You would look to us with Your benevolent hand and You would strengthen us to do Your will, to help us to put our hand to the good work. And Father, we pray that You would help us to focus on Your will, on the things above and not on earthly things, and strengthen us to always serve You. Incline our hearts towards Your testimonies, Father. Turn our hearts from evil. Father, we pray that You would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we ask that You would strengthen each of our marriages. Help us to grow in love for our spouse as we grow in love for You. Father, we pray that You would help us to seek out holiness. and That we would honor our Word and our promises. Father, we pray that we would fulfill our responsibilities and our roles in the family. And help us to be committed to our husbands and wives as we are committed to You. Father, forgive us where we've fallen short so many times we have not done Your will. Especially when we look at our marriage relationship, we recognize how often we selfishly do our own thing. We pray that You would forgive us for that and help us to overcome that tendency, that we would honor You in our marriage by loving our spouse, viewing them as more important than ourselves. We honor and praise You and ask that You be with us throughout this focus that we're having on the family for the next five weeks. We pray that Your hand of benevolence would be with each of us, that we would have the commitment to perform the work that we've agreed to with this focus, that we'll honor and glorify You by doing Your will and growing. We pray all of this through Your Son. Amen. Perhaps some of the problem in modern marriage goes back to the founding of our nation. We've all been taught since our school days that we hold these truths to be self-evident. 
that all men are created equal and are endowed with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm sure that the Founding Fathers meant well when they said that. I'm sure that they had no concept of where that kind of mindset would lead over 200 years later. And yet now, in our American culture, 200 and some odd years after that document, the Declaration of Independence, was penned, that concept of the pursuit of happiness has basically become the end-all, be-all to judge everything in our lives. The pursuit of happiness is what governs everything we do in our society. We are all about the pursuit of happiness. In fact, that has become such a basic thing in our society that if something is just not making us happy, that in and of itself is a good enough reason to quit. Whether we're talking about a career, a club, a church, or even a marriage. It's amazing the number of times that I have seen people that are dispensing with the Word of God And as you question them about that, especially when it comes to marriage, their response will be, but doesn't God want me to be happy? And sometimes I'm amazed as I look in their face and see that expression on their face that says they just absolutely, so utterly trust in that statement that that, that, that to them it's just a no-brainer. Come on. God wants me to be happy. And so I get to do what I want. But one of the things that we've got to learn today is that that statement was found in the Declaration of Independence. It's not found in the Bible. It was written by Thomas Jefferson. It was not written by God. And certainly God desires that we will be happy and joyful. But the Scripture never once tells us that the governing principle for our lives is what will make us happy. In the Scripture, we see over and over again that joy, blessedness, contentment, and happiness are the natural byproducts of God's will if we're following it. But that it's not what we are pursuing and it's not the governing principle. What we find in Scripture instead is our passages like 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14, the Scripture there says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. This principle is what governs our marriage. God expects us to pursue holiness, not happiness. And He expects us to pursue that in our marriages. Now here's the very interesting thing. As we pursue holiness, in the long run, that is what is going to provide true happiness and contentment for us. But we struggle with that. Because the pursuit of holiness is not always in itself a very happy thing. While it will provide for us that lasting happiness, that contentment in the long run, sometimes in the moment, pursuing holiness is not all that joyful. Consider just one contrast in Psalm 94 and verse 12. Psalm 94 and verse 12. In this verse, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man whom you chasten, 
O Lord. Blessed. The word meaning happy. Happy is the man whom you chasten. Now that's interesting, because when I look all the way over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, I hear a different story. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, the Hebrew writer says, all discipline or all chastening for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Now, how is it that the psalmist can tell us, blessed is the man who is chastened by you, but the writer of Hebrews says, oh, all chastening, all discipline is not happy. It's sorrowful. I'll tell you why. Because the psalmist was looking to the end result. And when the Hebrew writer was saying it was not happy, he was looking at the moment right now. But notice what he goes on to say. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because of the training and the discipline, that is going to produce righteousness. And he's, here it's pointing out that it will produce happiness when we couple this with Psalm 94 and verse 12. But in that journey to produce holiness, which will eventually provide us with that happiness, there are going to be a lot of moments that are not so happy. And when we take a look at marriage in and of itself, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but... Because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. I don't want you to believe that marriage was invented just solely for the issue of sexual purity. However, one of the things this passage demonstrates to us is that when God designed marriage, His concern was not our happiness, but our holiness. And just as we point out in life in general, when we are pursuing in marriage holiness, that is what will produce happiness in the long run. But on that journey, there may be lots of unhappy moments. But allow me to guarantee you, it may seem like a paradox. But if in your marriage you strive for happiness, you won't get it. It will always elude you. And you'll lose the holiness as well. If, on the other hand, you follow God's plan and pattern and pursue holiness even in your marriage, I can guarantee you, in the long run, and even sometimes that long run means when you get to heaven. It may not even happen in this life. But in the long run, when you pursue holiness above all else, God throws happiness into the deal. Man tells us, seek for happiness. God says, Look for holiness. The second thing we recognize is that this is about promise and not pleasure. A marriage is to be based on a promise and not pleasure. So many people get into marriage because of pleasure. And by that, what I mean is they're just wanting to do whatever pleases me. In fact, just today... I read in the newspaper, Charlize Theron, saying, no, I'm not going to get married because that's just not my cup of tea, even though I believe she's living with somebody. Well, that just doesn't please me. I'm not interested in making that promise because it's not pleasing to me. And so many people, that is their idea of marriage. And therefore, when marriage is no longer pleasing to them, they're ready to get out. 
But we need to understand that the bedrock of marriage, the basis of marriage, is not what pleases us, but a promise that we make. Again, we go back to Malachi chapter 2, and let's remind ourselves what the Bible said there. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14, the Lord says that He had been a witness between you, Malachi 2.14, between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant is an agreement. So this marriage is about a covenant that you made. It's about a promise that you made years ago. And you've dealt treacherously with that promise, God said to these Israelites. We've got to understand that we made a promise. When we become married, we are committing ourselves to someone. We are agreeing and promising, vowing, we say, when we get married, that we will be with them, that we'll grow with them, that we'll learn with them, that we'll love them. I want to be very careful as I talk about our modern vows that we often use that have come up in our traditional Western weddings. I don't want you to think that, oh, if we just change those words, that's going to change everything, that it makes it okay. God's view of marriage is not based on those vows. We can say something else, and that's not going to change what God thinks about our marriage. But what we do know is that those Western vows that we most often hear at weddings today are based on what God thinks about. What do we often hear in our weddings today? For better, for worse for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to have and to hold until death do us part. Some folks say, yeah, I know I said that, but I didn't know how worse it could get. Well, but that's the commitment. That's the promise. No matter how bad it is, because guys, life can be bad sometimes. No matter how bad it gets, we're saying, I promise to be there with you. No matter how sick they get, no matter how bad they are, I promise to be there. Marriage is a promise. It's not about what's pleasing to us. It's about that promise we made before God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 4 says, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. It's so sad, the number of people in our society today who make that vow to have and to hold, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and health, until death do us part. And then somewhere down the line, they're turning to God and saying, it was a mistake. God says, it's better not to vow. You don't have to get married. It's better not to vow than to vow and not keep it. Because marriage is based on promise, not pleasure. Going back to our culture, perhaps again, we, we go all the way back to that original document and it talked about our inalienable rights. Today in our society, 
Rights are a big thing. We're demanding our rights. And so many people get into marriage based on what they expect to get out of it because what they believe they deserve and their rights in marriage. I know that to be the case because I have never once had anyone come into my office and say, Edwin, I really need some help. I have not been giving enough in my marriage and I need to do more. But I have had all kinds of people come into my office here in Texas and say, Edwin, I need some help. I'm not getting enough out of my marriage. My wife or my husband is not doing what they're supposed to. I want you to fix it. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, the Bible there describing the pattern in marriage says, Ephesians 5:22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I think a lot of the problems in marriage today, a lot of problems we see in culture today as they view marriage, stems from people misusing this passage for years. Let's face it, our society has been a male-dominated society for years, and we men for years have used this passage to demand our rights. And at some point, the women in our society recognized the inequity that was being forced upon them because of that, and they just stepped up and demanded their rights. Here's something very interesting in this passage. I recognize what this passage says. It points out that the husband is the leader in the home. It points out that the wife is to be in subjection to the husband. But one of the things I notice in this passage is it never once says anything about the rights that the husband has as head of the home. And it never once says anything about the rights that the wife has as the one who is in subjection in the home. What we find here is responsibility, not rights. God gave responsibilities to us in our marriages. He did not give us rights. He gave to the husband the responsibility of leading with love, of being a sacrifice, serving his family the same way Jesus did for the church. He gave to the wife the responsibility of being in subjection to the husband, respecting him. But these are our responsibilities. And if we find ourselves complaining because we're not getting what we deserve or we're not having our rights fulfilled, we need to step back and remember that God never said anything about that. God just told us not what we deserve in marriage, 
but what we are supposed to do in marriage. And so, if you come to my office because things aren't going so well in your marriage and you say, I'm not getting enough out of it, I'll tell you the same thing I told everybody else. I can't do anything about your spouse. All I can do is tell you how you're supposed to live in your marriage. Because that's all the Bible tells us. Not what we deserve, not our rights, but our responsibilities. And finally, as we consider our society, we recognize that our society is an emotionally driven society. So much so that we've even come up with our own emotional vocabulary that ennobilizes our feelings. It just makes it sound so grand. And so, in our society, we'll talk about feelings of fulfillment. We'll ask, and you might go to a marriage counselor, and they'll ask you, well, are you being fulfilled in your marriage? Is it a fulfilling relationship? Is it a meaningful relationship? Is it an enriching relationship? And it sounds so grand because surely if a marriage is not fulfilling, we we really shouldn't have to be in that situation, should we? But when we're asked the question, is it fulfilling, is it meaningful, is it enriching you, you realize all we're doing is just asking in a more fancy way, are you getting what you want? And when I say, I'm just not being fulfilled in my marriage, it's not meaningful, it's not enriching. All I'm really saying is, I'm not getting what I want. It's basically just a nice way of saying, I'm selfish. But the psychologists of our day and the therapists and the counselors of our day will tell us that if we can make marriages fulfilling and meaningful and enriching, that's what's going to make them last. But that is not the case. We need to understand that fulfillment is not what will make our marriages last. Commitment is what will make our marriages last. Because if I am in the marriage as long as it is fulfilling... When there's a moment that it's not fulfilling, I'll leave. But if I am committed to the marriage, then no matter what highs or lows we go through, I'm going to stay. And here's the thing that we've got to realize. There's no relationship out there that stays constantly on a high. It just doesn't happen. You can go through the book of Psalms. And you'll find that even a deep and meaningful relationship with God does not always ride on a high. There were highs and lows in their relationships, even with God. What do you expect to happen in our marriage relationships? There are going to be days when it's just not very fulfilling. There are going to be days when it just doesn't seem that meaningful, and there are going to be days, sometimes months, maybe years, when it's not all that enriching. But we've got to be committed. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew 19.3, testing Him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And He answered and said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it's not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked him, Can you get divorced for any reason? And he said a lot of words there, but if you boil it all down to its very essence, he said, No. What God has joined together, let not man separate. He doesn't say man can't separate it. He said we're not supposed to let him do it. Remember what he said in Malachi? I hate divorce. We're supposed to be committed to marriage. In this text, we recognize that God provided an exception. We recognize that that God points out here that if the person committed immorality, that seemingly here the divorce is lawful. But under any other circumstance, if the person gets a divorce, not only is the divorce itself sinful, if they marry again, it says they're committing adultery. See, God expects us to be committed. I know that sounds tough. Even the disciples said, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. If you're not married, I want you to think about that. If you're not willing to make this commitment till death do you part, it's better not to marry. But once you're married, you've got to remember it's a commitment. And marriages last not based on how fulfilling and enriching and meaningful they are. They last based on how committed you are to making it last. Because I tell you what, when you come into a marriage and you realize, I am stuck with this person until I die no matter what, you can learn to figure things out if the only alternative is to be miserable for the rest of your life. You see, the problem is today, we've got this other alternative. Well, God doesn't want me to be miserable. He wants me to be happy so I can get out of it. See, that takes us back up to the top, doesn't it? When you have that commitment, and you know that in order to maintain holiness, it's either figure this out, or be miserable. You can start learning to figure it out. But you've got to have the commitment. Our society today, the movies that we watch, the music that we listen to, the pop psychologists and the counselors will tell us that we can pursue happiness and pleasure and rights and fulfillment. But we remember what it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're supposed to be different from the world. We're not seeking happiness, we're seeking holiness. We're not following our pleasures, we're sticking to our promises. We're not demanding our rights, we're fulfilling our responsibilities. And we're not looking for fulfillment, we're following through on our commitment. That's God's institution for marriage. And that's what we want for our marriages. I hope this lesson, our second in our 2005 focus on the family, has been beneficial to you as we look at God's institution of marriage. Let's remember what we learned about the contrast between the way the world looks at marriage and the way God looks at marriage. Marriage, we remember, is about holiness, not happiness. Promise, not pleasure. Responsibilities, not rights. Commitment not fulfillment. 
Very interestingly, when we focus on the right aspects of marriage, we'll also get all those other things we were hoping for. Let's remember to serve God in our marriages, seeking His kingdom and righteousness first. And when we seek holiness, we'll get happiness. When we keep our promise, we'll get what pleases us. When we fulfill our responsibilities, our rights will be covered. And when we honor our commitment, we'll receive fulfillment. If you have any questions about marriage, about the home and family, about God's Word, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone gave you this lesson on tape or on CD. If so, let me invite you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We've got lots of resources there that you're allowed to use. We have articles, and we also have numerous lessons in outline and audio format. Feel free to download them and use them in whatever way you think will please God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.